And welcome to another episode of Around the KVBL. I am, as always, your host, Troy Kennedy. It is another season in the KVBL. We are now entering the 2051-2052 KVBL season. The Hawks are trying to defend their title. Um, We are a quarter into the season. Some teams have already... You know, establish their presence, um, showing the league where they're probably going to be throughout the season. We have some teams that have started off well, maybe overachieving a bit. And then we have some teams that we're still waiting to see what they can bring. Um, Lots of questions to be answered that have been asked over the season with new faces on new teams. We had another exciting free agency We saw Zion Johnson go to the Wolves. We saw Percy Soto go to the Knicks. We saw Larry Jones Jr. go to the Thunder. Um, How are those pieces working out with their new teams? How are the drafted rookies playing for their teams? Um, All of these questions we're going to get answered on the show or at least get an opinion on as we have a guest come in and discuss a bunch of these topics. Um, we're not going to go through all of the transactions that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Um, however, we can maybe highlight some of the big moves that we have seen as some of the players have already been traded after signing as UFAs. Uh, one of the bigger ones there is Larry Jones Jr. after signing with Seattle, um, ending up and moving on, going back to the team that he almost won a championship with, um, played with the Seattle Supersonics as Jones Jr. goes back to Seattle. Uh, if you're looking at that deal right there, you know, Seattle trading Martin Forte, Forte or Sirius Salah and Yusian Hatch, um, and in you know, return basically getting Larry Jones Jr. So it really just looks like the Oakland City Thunder tried to get rid of that contract. Uh, Martin Forte was maybe the one useful piece in that trade. Um, the Thunder then turned around and actually made something out of that as they traded Forte, Hatch, Pike, and then two picks, the Jazz 2052 and the uh, Sonics 2054 first round pick and to to get Marcin Volsaki from the Blazers. Uh, Blazers, one of the teams that started off hard, hard of the gate, but having that log jam at winger you know, with Nick Jekos and Volsaki. So now they're getting a different piece right there, cheaper version. Um, so that looks to be a nice trade for the, for the Blazers. Uh, Forte's actually been playing pretty good basketball as of late. Volsaki should add some scoring to the Thunder. Um, we've seen a three-team trade between the uh, Heat, between the Cavs, and the Blazers. And um, you know, besides money moving around, the big two bigger pieces in that one is that the Cavaliers trade Zapstein and Richard Bates, and Zapstein ending up being a Blazer. Uh, Miami just you basically taking on salary and then a pick as the Blazers sent one of their picks. Um, in this deal um 
Emil Elliott was traded from the Miami Heat and he is going to the Boston Celtics. The Celtics, one of the teams that had a little slower start to the season, still trying to figure things out. Um, you know, Dino Doss, the Dino Doss project in Boston hasn't quite worked out yet. Um, and, you know, Santoro Proctor, the number one pick uh, for the Celtics, you know, has played, has played okay but has maybe not been quite that level yet you expect of a number one pick. And just remind, remember this, that in able to get Dino Doss, the Celtics gave up Fred Dreyer. Fred Dreyer that even though somewhat inefficient, does score a lot of points. So that is some scoring that you need to make up um, in that lineup. The Houston Rockets sent um, Alan Barber to New Orleans. New Orleans traded Noel Vesti under Holland um, and in smaller contracts, plus the 2053 first round pick to Houston. So good job by Houston getting a pick for the old man and Barber, uh, who, of course, can still add a scoring punch. Um, going quickly through it, is there anything else really remarkable that I've missed in the transaction log? Give me a second here. Uh, Besides that, I don't think anything ma- massive or major impact that has that has happened uh, at this point during the season. We'll see now that you know we're a quarter into the season and teams are now allowed to trade all of their free agents. We're sure we're going to get more um, more action coming soon. <coughs> Excuse me, but. Yes, what we're going to do is we're going to have Goulet from the Thunder, one of our favorite guests, back on the show. Uh, we have prepared a bunch of questions that we want this man to answer for us and take a look, you know, get a feel for the league, where we're sitting after 20-plus games. So we're not going to give up a whole lot right here. Um, but, you know, some of the prospects that we're definitely going to look into, want to see how they have played so far are, you know, Proctor is obviously an interesting one, being the number one pick. Um, how does Velvex do with the Nets? Uh, Stan Kowalfa and the Pacers. Pacers one of the teams that really start off well. Um, how is Kubrick with the Heat? Um, you know, who really impressed scouts early on during preseason. Um, how is Glowassel for the Thunder? What about Jerison that went, end up going to the Pacers? The Pacers, did, you know, did a bunch of trading once again. And have a pretty fun young core right now. And we're going to take a look at that as we having Goulet on here shortly on the show. Um, trying to figure out what if there's anything else we need to cover right now. Just to kind of give you guys a quick idea over the standings, you know, 20 plus games into the season. If you go through the Landros, you know, at the top right now, you got the Lions followed by the Pacers. Uh, they're a game and a half apart. The Bucks are third. The Lakers on fourth. The Lakers have started off hot. Hornets on fifth. The Nuggets on sixth. The Raptors on seventh. The 76 are sitting in eighth right now. The Cavaliers on ninth. The Celtics on tenth. Who off to a slow start again and not quite putting it all together. The Rockets, who we were talking about, you know, being that team that being close to take the next step, started off somewhat slow. So they are in 11th. The Bulls. One of the teams we're looking at, what happens now at the post-Zion, the post-Soto era. Um, and without their picks, what's going to happen in Chicago? 
They are sitting in 12th right now. And then last in the Maynard is currently the, oh, sorry, last in the Landros are the Grizzlies. If you look on the Maynard side, the top team as of right now, 20 games in, are the Seattle Supersonics. The Clippers are in second. The Blazers, who started off hot, are in third. The Jazz are in fourth. The Suns are in fifth. The Wolves are in sixth, so getting carried by Zion. The Thunder are in seventh. The Warriors are in eighth, who've had some injury trouble. The Hawks, surprisingly, are in ninth, also with some injury, injury trouble. The Heat are in 10th, the Knicks are in 11th, the Kings in 12th, and the Nets in 13th. Um, so with that said, we're just going to go right into it. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and after the commercial, we're going to have the man from the Thunder on as he will answer some of these questions that we've prepared for him and get a feel for where the league is right now. So hold on tight. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Around the KBBL. And now I am joined once again by a man that spends almost as much time on the show as I do. Uh, from the Oklahoma City Thunder, Golay, how are you? I'm doing well, Troy. Thank you for having me as usual. Uh, of course, pleasure as always. So we are parts into the season. Um, as you heard earlier in the show, we talked about what we had, some predictions for the um, for the season. Um We've had some of these answered, but there's still a lot of questions that are out there. I know questions that um, the masses are trying to get answered with a lot of movement in the offseason. I've prepared a bunch of questions for you. I would like you to give me your take on these. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. So first off, the biggest signing in the offseason was obviously Zion going to the Wolves. Um how do you see his impact being that team, and what do you think his future holds with the Timberwolves? Well, right off the bat, we know Zion is putting up, you know, monster stats. He pretty much ha- is the second best player in the league behind Watson. If we look at his career stats, he's pretty much doing what he's done for his career. So he hasn't really missed a beat as far as his production. He's a little bit less efficient, but that's probably because he really doesn't have much of a surrounding cast. But I mean, we knew coming into the season that this team was going to be somewhat frisky with Zion. And then it was just, what were they going to do? And he's kind of carried them to a 500 record, you know? And the interesting thing is in talking to in my limited interactions with Mike, trying to get a feel for what he's doing is he basically, the only thing he said to me so far is that he was unsure of whether or not that that team was going to keep Zion. So I, I think, Time will tell. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, it's probably going to play into one of your other questions, but, you know, I, I really think it's 50-50 because the, the Wolves technically hold the the Warriors pick as well as the Thunder. You know, now, of course, the Warriors and the Hawks are kind of frisky out. Sorry, frisky. They're fringe playoff teams right now just because of their injuries. But the big thing there is that there's really only nine teams counting the Wolves out in the Maynard right now that are jostling for playoff position because right now you would have thought before the season ah the wolves probably would just sell zion etc etc but with the wolves owning the thunder pick and the thunder kind of in a weird spot i'm sure we'll get to them later is do the wolves technically want to just roll with zion and potentially build long term around him knowing that they have the thunder pick you know if the bull it of course if if they end up selling zion that's going to automatically put the thunder in the playoffs and they've kind of devalued their picks. So if they want to roll run, you know, obviously they have their own pick. So that's, 
it's neither here nor there, but they could keep Zion and just maybe be buyers, but then also have that Thunder pick should they push the Thunder out. So I really think it's kind of up in the air. I, I feel like it's the kind of thing that he's most likely going to be around a 500 team. I mean, we've already seen that he could trade him right now and hasn't. So the longer he waits, the more he technically hurts his own pick, you know, as far as that, as far as them. So I, I really think it could go either way. So right now I just, I almost lean towards him, keep them keeping Zion rather than trading. Him. That's kind of my gut at this point. So I saw I may have lost you last year. We had some technical difficulties real quick. I'm hoping that the message, what you had is going on, but basically what we got to is that you are current. We currently in a holding part pattern with the wolves with Zion sitting right there. And this can go on throughout close to the deadline as it's certainly in the interest to keep you as far down as possible. Not just that, but any game this deal against a team like the Warriors is going to help that pick as well. Um, so as of right now, as you said, I think they're just going to hold as long as it can. And maybe Zion becomes, you know, a, a trade deadline deal um, if he even gets dealt at all. I mean, he's still playing on an absolute elite level. As you said, he's a sec- second MVP Um candidacy and you know shooting almost 54 percent and scoring 31 points a game so the man certainly has not dropped off despite a much different uh cast around him um you basically touched on that where they would go with this another team that made an interesting move was the clippers who shipped of dos to the celtics and added freya dreyer um how do you see the clippers after the trade well the clippers really haven't lost the beat um it's interesting because I feel like they're giving the way that they ended last season, they ended, I think pretty strong where they were, you know, towards the top of the Maynard. So it's almost like same, same output, but different pieces, you know, obviously they basically flipped Doss for Dreyer. So, you know, it makes sense that now Hobbs has a little bit more of uh, pressure on him as far as he's a distributor, you know, Frayer's pretty much giving, giving that team, his historical stats as well. So they haven't really missed a beat as far as wins go. It's just how different are they going to look come playoff time? You know, the, the, the biggest thing would be is Frayer's efficiency when it matters. And, you know, was Doss more important as a playoff piece? You know, obviously he knows what he wants to do with his team. You know, he might just be changing it up for the sake of changing it up. But if he felt like he wanted more scoring, I mean, right now off the bat, they have like a, a plus 16 point differential, I think, so far, if I that member, I'm going to double check real quick. I just looked at it. Yeah. I mean, they have a plus 16, you know, they're 18 and five, you know, they're super hot out of the gate. And obviously he really likes his team, you know, again, touching on something that we'll probably get into a little bit later is, you know, they were very displeased with the Thunder's move of Larry Jones to the Sonics. And I think after the very harsh words initially, I think he kind of realized that it is a deal that made sense for the Thunder. But of course, his first reaction was, wow, the Sonics really didn't give up anything to get Jones back. But and that obviously might hurt the Clippers case. But one thing I would say is, well, we'll get to the Sonics later. I'm assuming you probably have that as a question. But when I look at the Clippers, it, it just looks like, you know what? It's kind of, again, the, the same winning ways, despite who they have. It's just going to more so be as, you know, come playoff time, would Doss be a more important part than Frey? And if he felt like Doss kind of failed him last year you know, than it is what it is, but they haven't really missed a beat. Whereas I think some people didn't like that trade for them early on. And so far it's panned out. So, so far, so good. Yeah. I mean, he's scoring 30 points on that team as well. Granted, his shooting efficiency isn't as, 
as good as your Zion uh, as trade ratio. It's currently at forty five point eight. Which is better, which is actually better for him, but it's kind of right which around is, what he does. It's yep. going to be his, you know, what's going to end up. I mean, I was, I was just about to say that it's actually better what we've seen with him with the Celtics, for instance. Um, and I mean, if you get 30 points on 40, you know, around 46% of Dreyer, I think that's a win for you. Um, so moving on, on the flip side of that, on the other side of this deal was obviously DOS and the impact going to the Celtics. But that's not the only player that we're excited about when it comes to Boston, because obviously with the number one pick and them taking Santor Prado, how is his impact been on not just the Celtics, but also the league? Well, that it's, it's a funny thing. Cause if we're, if we're looking at those two teams, it's kind of, you know, Hey, the, the Clippers didn't miss a beat in the sense that they've kept winning. And unfortunately the Celtics haven't missed a beat in the sense that they keep losing. Yeah. It doesn't they can't get seem it together like, yet. it doesn't seem like, whatever they do, they can't seem to make the right move. Like it made sense that giving them a a nice low usage point guard around their scores was, was beneficial. But if we kind of rewind to what we were talking about during the free agent podcast, um, the live reveal was we were kind of stressing the need for the low usage guard, I think around, you know, Anthony brand and maybe even Frey. So meaning that, you know, this trade happened after we had known what was going on. And I feel like if he would have added, like we talked about Markle, if he would have added a guy like Markle to the team with Frey, then I think it makes a little bit more sense. But now what he does is obviously he drafts Prodder. And if you just look at the output, I mean, Prodder's only giving them 15 points a game. Obviously he can rebound. You know, he's got a little bit, um, he's giving them 38 minutes, but he's giving them half the scoring that Frey was giving them. So right now, surprisingly enough or unsurprisingly enough they're struggling to score you know granted i don't quite know what they would have done if they could have well i guess they would have had frey and and prodder up front and if they could have technically signed a point guard instead of trading for dos that probably would have been the better setup you know but now they're kind of stuck in this in this path of you know we got prodder and we kind of just got to wait till he develops you know you you would have wanted him to get a little bit more volume i think the lack of his overall ability at the line you know he's a guy that's shooting under 60 percent at the line if he was shooting a much better normalized percent that probably helps his scoring a bit pushes him a little bit closer to 20 but you know it's still a shocker that that team isn't playing better than we thought I mean if we're looking at the rookie I think he's fine he's gonna be fine but the problem is he doesn't really fit with the fact that he's got Doss Brand and Anthony right now on the same timeline those guys are 25 to 27 years old I mean Frey fit with that so if they would have technically added a point guard through free agency, that would have been a better, I think, scenario where then they could wait for Prodder. And now they're kind of relying on Prodder. But, hey, they have their picks. So if they want to miss the playoffs again, I mean, again, you can keep pointing the fingers at people like me. But here's a team that's loaded and could potentially miss the playoffs for what we're looking at right now because they just haven't put it together. Yeah. But it's not for, you know – for for tanking reasons, you want to call that this team just hasn't clicked yet. That, I mean, it's the performance hasn't been there versus, you know, as other GMs have pointed out in your case, where you purposely are not playing your best player. We're not <laughs> going to get into that because I'm not going to start a shitstorm here. Um, but they've they've rolled out what on paper looks to be the best lineup. That lineup just hasn't performed yet. Now, that is true. Looking that at is true. looking at Prader, you know, as a number one pick. If you look at his stat line, it's not it's really not bad. I mean, he's getting you 14 and a half points, 
Um, you're getting 38 minutes out of him. He's shooting about 40, you know, 46 and a half percent. Now, as you said, free throw shooting leaves a little bit to be desired, but he adds 11 rebounds. So it's not a terrible stat line, but that team needed more out of the guy that you draft at the number one spot in this, in this current setup. Correct. And, and if you look at the fact that it's a very similar team as last year, he lost 15 points a game from Frey down to Prodder. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the names that came throwing out a lot was, you know, with them having number one pick, with them drafting Prodder. And there was a lot of GMs that yelled out, oh, do we see a Prodder for Zion trade? But obviously that has not come to fruition. And, you know, based on what the what the Wolves want to do and staying, you know, pseudo-competitive in, in, in their division and in their conference, I don't know if we're going to see this trade happen. I Well, if you're talking about that, I was told a rumor last night about a different team and an offer they supposedly made for Zion, which to me was almost like a no-brainer. I was really shocked. So I don't even know if it's they just didn't read it, but I, there was a better player, in my opinion, involved um, than Prodder. I mean, of course, Prodder was just the most recent number one pick, but he wasn't the only number one pick who had been recently drafted that had been floating around to what I had heard. Well, there's been a lot of rumors on on, on Twitter that the Hornets have been going hard after um, after Zion, but I, you know, there's nothing that's really confirmed with all this. But um, you know, that's just out on the rumor mill. But we we'll see what we'll see what happens there. Um, moving on with another draft prospect that we had, and we're actually going to just jump totally and totally ignore the fact who was picking two and three, because one of the names has been named a lot since the draft has been Valvax, Declan Valvax, who went to the Nets. How do you see his play? Now, granted, the Nets have obviously been a pretty lackluster team sitting bottom uh, of the entire KBBL with the 219 record. But let's talk about Valvax and the impact that he's had. Obviously, the Nets aren't good. I think the most important thing is about Valvax is that early on, we can tell that he's a guy that's going to be able to stay on the court. Um, to be honest, I've been more impressed with his lack of fouling and ability to defend more than his shooting, but that makes sense because they don't really have point guards. You know, right now that's a team that's very low in passing. You know, they don't really have the distributors that a guy like that needs when he's going to be a big that can shoot the three. You know, we can see that he's only shooting 33% right now. So, of course, you know, you're going to need him to shoot 40%. You know, when, when, when that guy develops to the point where that team needs to be better is that we we really don't want him to go sideways, like I had said before pre-draft. I think, or when we talked about the draft the draft results, is you can't have him become Frey from three. If he becomes a guy that's going to shoot thirty-two percent over the course of his career on offense, he's kind of a one-trick pony where he wants to shoot the three. So he's going to need to be able to shoot the three, you know. And of course, right now we can see that it's really passing um, dependent. So long term, he's going to need to get the passing. Um, you're going to want to hope that he keeps progressing that way. And he's, he's kind of on the line right now where you're going to, you're going to assume that he has a little bit more improvement to, to kind of nail that outside shot. But you just want to hope that he doesn't fall in love with it so much that he kind of takes a shot down as far as he loses that efficiency. But, you know, if he keeps going the right way, he should be fine. But again, like I said, the fact that he can stay on the court right now and give you a boatload of minutes and give you that defense is that, that, you know, that would scare me the most as far as if he was a guy that had some sort of foul trouble. So I like what I see so far. 
it's just only going to only time going to tell. It's going to be a guy that's going to, you know, again, three or four seasons down the line. We're going to need to see what that three point shooting's like, because if that doesn't necessarily come around and goes the other way, it could technically ruin him as a prospect. I agree with you there. Um, now, another guy that's, you know, been pretty much a disappointment on that team was another high pick a couple of seasons ago, and that's Dexter Aldwell. Um, you know, was super hyped because of his flexibility and the ability to defend, et cetera, et cetera. And you look at him and, you know, I don't know if it's, is it the environment is in with, you know, that whole losing mentality in, in New Jersey, or was he just overhyped and not really a ready KVBL player? Well, he's only, he's only, we've only really seen three seasons at him and this is his fourth season. You know, he's getting um, the most minutes, you know, this season as compared to last season. And, you know, you, you probably, again, you would want more efficiency, but you know, where they where they fail is a is a, in is almost like the flip side of where you could see the Sonics succeed. So when you look at a team like the Sonics output and then you look at a team like the Nets output, passing you can tell really matters. And when you have an extra amount of passing, it matters that much more. You know, I'm sure you probably will again we'll get into them later when we talk about guys like, you know, Forte's production before he got dealt, Jones's production in the past. You know, when you just don't have that passing around these guys, I think they're going to look a lot worse. And, you know, I think the nice thing about Aldwell is that he's still young enough. People want to, you know, he's 23, but again, he's only been in the league three or four seasons. He does enough, I think, overall that you just have to hope that he keeps going in the in 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 the right direction. And to be honest, I'm not really scared away right now because, again, he's a guy that we can see on the defensive end, he's been able to stay on the court. And the fact that he gives him a little bit of nice defensive playmaking, you know, he's, he's an extra passer is that once they can really form somewhat of a lineup and especially have, you know, a point guard that can pass, that's, I think what's really going to be able to tell us what the nets are. But as far as a prospect, he's a guy that, you know, unlike a guy like Jasper for my team, I wouldn't really want to give up on Aldwell right now. I think he's a really nice asset for them. Okay. All right, as we were speaking about prospects in the draft, there's another guy that I think a lot of um, GMs were kind of interested in seeing, and especially um, the GM that drafted him in, you know, Creasy from the Pacers. And let's talk about Weston Jarrison and the surprisingly great playing Pacers right now who's sitting number two in the Landers with a 15-6 and record and, as a matter of fact, the only undefeated team at home right now. Well, what's nuts is about the Pacers. I mean, they get they got shot out of a cannon. They had an incredible start to their season. Um, what's really nice about them is, of course, he was not sure what they were going to do with that franchise moving forward. You know, they got a big decision on what they want to do with Bapple. Um, you know, Congo, while he doesn't necessarily play defense, he just rolled out there. I mean, there's a guy that, you know, I don't even know how much people had talked about him last season, but there's a guy that last season put up 30 points a game. He's a guy that's steadily been increasing over the course of his career, where now he's putting up 30 points a game. You know, he's putting up 30 points a game on 50%. Um, he's giving you a little bit of everything, uh, aside from the fact that he doesn't necessarily pay defense at all. So, again, it's funny. You look at his scouting report, and it nails it. He's the total package offensively. So it's like if you can put other pieces around him, especially like a guy like Jarrison that can defend, it could pay huge dividends. And what we've also seen is that, you know, an unknown part of all this is Marco Ferentz, who I'm thinking got – you know, some nice development over the course of the offseason. 
has been a huge cog in that team. If you look at his production, what he's giving them, he's giving them a little bit of everything. So I really think the fact that his development combined with Jarrison's immediate impact on the defensive end, you know, it's kind of, of course, things normalize a little bit after your first set of games and you kind of go into your, you know, you finish off like a full month of play is that, you know, the fact that Jarrison right now is giving him, you know, the defensive, uh, you know, stability that he would want. And in his rookie season and the fact that he's still giving him some offense, you know, again, we look at the passing, the fact that he's got a point guard and then he has that extra passing, you know, from his bigs. And of course, sorry, I didn't even talk about Kowaltha. You know, Kowaltha does a little bit of everything, gives him that extra passing. And this is a team where, you know, interestingly enough, the guys that he drafted fit right in with everything else to where his starting five is a super fun starting five. They're not even looking at winning right away and they're having fun with this team that, you know, right off the bat, look at this, they're, they're 15 and six, who knows what we were going to get from them. And they have a ton of young pieces and they kind of fit together. And I don't know what he wants to do moving forward, but he doesn't really have to do anything if he doesn't want to, you know, but if we're looking at Jarrison, I think he nailed it with Jarrison. Uh, that was a really great pick, you know, and Kowaltha has done everything that we've, we, you know, I know you love Kowaltha. You had him super high on your board. Um, and again, some of these guys, you want to hope that they can kind of keep it together as far as their minutes on the court. You know, the Pacers have historically had this issue the last few seasons where I feel like they've had some guys that have had foul trouble um, just for random reasons, but it could also be the fact that Bapple does not foul at all. And then if you look at a guy like a Congo, he's more normal, but Bapple's kind of a freak. So, I mean, everything's working right now in Indiana. So I think he has to love what he sees from the kids. Um, sure thing. And you kind of beat me to the punch in that one because I was going to point out, you know, how, even though Ference is not your prototypical point guard that, you know, shares the ball a lot, he likes to take the shot himself, that team is still finding ways to hit the open guy. Because if you look, you know, Ference still gets his 5.7 assists. Uh, Okongo is adding 3.5 assists. And then Kowalta is adding 4.5 assists. So, you know, as a team, they're still getting it done to share the rocks. They're doing a great job there. And as you said, what's really fun with this team is if you look at that roster, the oldest guy on that team, the grandfather of this team, is Lars Coldpot at 30 years old. Um, after that, you got Benatsky at 26, and the rest of this lineup is 24 and younger. So, I mean, this is a team he can literally just and watch them grow. Yeah, now that their core, and even that's just even the fact that you have Sudiker playing, but the core is 23 or younger. Everyone that's getting big minutes is 23 yep. or younger. Um, I mean, look look at a guy you know that they brought in from the Celtics and Burt still isn't even getting minutes right now. And if you if you look at you know his body of work, that's a guy that uh, a lot of rosters would at least see minutes, you know, off the bench, um, so that they don't have to even use that guy and they can just kind of stash him and have him ready to play when needed. It, it's huge. So this this team, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for all the talk we we hyped up about a team like the Rockets you know, taking the next step, um, you know, or even like a team like the Nuggets who we've said have kind of underperformed with young talent. I mean, the Pacers have leapfrogged both of these teams as far as, man, this this team looks really fun. Yeah. One of the more fun teams right now, so especially they, with how young they are. That's going to be fun to continue following this season. Um, speaking of a team, I, I'm not necessarily if you if they were flying under the radar like the Pacers did, but a team that you didn't quite know what to expect because one of the biggest pieces they traded for last season didn't get to play throughout an injury, and we didn't know how he would recover from this injury. And that's of course uh, you know Joseph Adam Casadi 
with the Blazers. Another team that has actually started really, really strong out of the game. Third in the main out with a 17-5 and five record. Um, so let's talk about Jack's impact on that team and the overall performance of that lineup. The one thing that, that kind of screams out when I look at a team like the, the Blazers is, of course, we didn't quite know what we were going to get from Cassidy. And he's, he's one of the most efficient shooters in the league. You know, he's shooting 62% from them right now. We knew he wasn't a guy that was going to score, but he, we knew that he would be super efficient. You know, he would give them some defense, some balance. And the biggest thing is when you kind of look at that team is they're kind of doing everything. You know, they're, they're, they're efficient as a team as far as scoring. Um, you know, they're, they're good playing well in the defensive end, you know, where a guy like Kennington has been actually really good for them as far as giving them some added defense, especially with some steals, you know, they've kind of been able to keep their turnovers down. And, and the nice thing is that they're not necessarily fouling, you know, they don't really have guys, you know, who've given them foul issues. So it's like all of the things that you would want from a team, it makes sense. If you're going to be efficient and you're not going to turn the ball over and you're going to foul less than your opponent. Those three things are going to translate into wins. And of course, they're, you know, they're significantly out rebounding as far as like they're, they can get you offensive rebounds. So it's kind of like the, the core pieces, you know, when you look at a handful of guys like a guy like Kennington, uh, Kennington, Cassie, none of these guys are fouling at, at, at a high degree. So it's like it's a team that fits. You know, what's funny is we I know that they're a team that, cons, you know, looks at moving a guy like Brandt and Brandt is kind of. A, a not very sexy player when you look around the league, but he's giving you what he gives you. He's a guy that can give you, you know, 16, 18 points a game, 10 rebounds. He's efficient. You know, so I think the fact that what, what he's put together, you know, of course, Cassidy has helped because he's given them the added defense is the fit of everybody right now is working. Now, of course, we know that, you know, well, Zachy's moving on from the Blazers to the Thunder and they're replacing him with Forte. Forte's not really a big drop-off. Forte, of course, we know has been great with the Sonics so far, but that's because of all the passing they have. Forte's going to be a little bit better defender. Um, he's just not going to give him the extra pop. You know, so they might lose a teeny bit, but that also just might be more shots for other guys. So I think, you know, the way that the Blazers were constructed, whatever question marks people have is it's working. They're doing – they're fine. Well, and, you know, that team started off with, you know, the pure shooting guard of Nick Jekros on the bench – and now just starting the last 12 games after, you know, that Volsaki trade. Um, so his minutes haven't really been all that big. He's just fine. He's getting up to about 28 minutes a game now. But he's scoring 23 points in those 28 minutes. So, you know, get this guy up to 32, 33, 34 minutes, and you're probably going to see that scoring closer to 27, 28 points. And what's um, nice about him is despite his efficiency is, again, he's a guy that, you know, he's going to get to the line a ton and he's not going to foul. So if he can at least shoot a decent percent from them, you know, we know he's not really great at the three uh, too much anymore, you know, but if he can give him the somewhat efficient scoring, but the big thing is that he's going to be able to draw fouls and he's not a guy, a, a guy that gives, is going to foul much on the defensive end either. So, you know, as far as a starter, obviously it's worked. Yeah. No, so this, this, this team has started off pretty hot and um, same thing there, you know, injecting Jekos and now getting Forte for the bench. Um, I don't see this team dropping off anytime soon either. So, and I mean, I don't even know if we can call it that it was like, you know, weak scheduling early. They're, they're beating good teams. So, yeah. um, you know, taking a look real quick, their losses that they've had, um, just seeing if there's any head scratchers, if we take a quick glance at the schedule. Um, that yeah, they, we did beat them at the final game of the Sim. Well, that's one, and then they lost on the road to the Kings, which probably is a game they want to have back. 
They lost on the road to the Clippers, who are obviously above them. So that's, you know, that's a loss that you can accept. Um, but yeah, I mean, they beat the Jazz on the road, which is a good win. Um, I mean, beat they the beat the they beat the Lions on the road. They did lose to the Sonics at home, but I mean, as of right now, Sonics are your best team in the in the Maynard. So, I mean, and they lost to the Cavs on the road. So they, they finished the last two games of losses on the road at Cavs and at Thunder. Um, but overall, they're beating in most cases who you're supposed to beat, and then throwing in some good wins as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So this team is this team is built to be part, and you know. Knowing the GM and that team, he's going to continue trying to make it better. Um, but I don't know if you really need to mix too much with this as it is. Agreed. So, all right. So, moving on from the Blazers, and you know, it's a name that you've thrown out a couple times already, and that's Larry Jones Jr., who you've had, who the Sonics were missing, and we wanted to know how they were going to be without him. Well, they started off pretty darn good. And on top of it, just added him back into the rotation. So let's have a quick, let's talk uh, talk about the Sonics. So the first part of it would be is how are they going to do without Jones? And I think the fact of, you know, if you're looking at your your leader right out of the gate for GM of the year, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's Omer and the Sonics. You know, the fact that he, you know, Hudson fit perfectly with that team. Um, and the fact that he was able to also get Forte put the pieces around the studs again. And the fact that they came out of the gate 18 and two, I mean, again, a, a perfect constructed team, you know, around that core now. So they came out of the gate. Now the one thing you do have to look at is Forte. I want to say we saw some stats today where he was one of the best, I think shot, uh, what should we call it? Uh, true shooting. Yeah. True shooting percents. So it's like he, he scores more than Jones but we know that Jones is going to give you more on the defensive end. The other thing is that Jones also has a little bit more of a turnover issue. You know, so whereas we might talk about Jones's impact on the Thunder later and why that deal was made is that the one thing I worry is that when I look at the Sonics right now, I feel like Jones probably he likes because he's a better overall role player. But with the output that they were getting on from Forte is that I'm not sure they're better with Jones, especially with the offense. Now, they might be better as far as a matchup situation, and it's tough to say, oh, wow, Jones is so much better than Forte. But if you just look at the stats, the stats that Forte had been giving them at the beginning of the year, you know, granted that might have normalized, but I guess I don't know that this is a team that's going to run off another 18-2 and two because they have Jones, if that makes sense. I don't want to say that they're worse, but I think Forte was playing out of his mind. So, you know, it's like replacing that offensive production. I don't know that Jones is necessarily going to give them that. The other issue they're going to have right now is that regardless of how you want to feel about how, you know, they acquired Jones and what all was involved is now you had another player that's making upwards of $20 million injected into that lineup. He was only making, I think, 13 or 15 last year. So, you know, moving forward, when you're looking at a DPJ Watson and Jones trio, you know, he's got Hudson on the cheap, which was huge for them, you know, but they're going to have, that's almost, you know, anywhere from 50 to $55 million in three guys. And then how are they going to build around that? So it's like pretty much every year in and year out, this is what you're going to get from that team. They're going to have to acquire other players cheap. And we know right now is they really don't have enough, you know, many more assets other than a guy like Carlton Douglas, unless they were going to flip him for, you know, some sort of starter. But, you know, again, he's brought in Brinson and Brinson has been fine for them starting. Now, what round did they lose in last year? Was it in the conference finals to the Hawks or was it before that? 
Um, trying to, f- you know, that's a great. I want to say it was the conference finals, and it was. I mean, that series was four games to one, wasn't it? Um, all right, you know what? Give me a quick second, and I will actually look it up. Because the the reason, I mean, while while you're looking that up, just interrupt me when when you're there. Is the point is they didn't make the finals, and they're pretty much bringing back the same team now that they have Jones again. You know, so for all the hoopla about everyone being worried about this team is that they didn't make the finals last year, you know, so the point uh, they is did that, not even, they didn't even actually, they lost in the second round to the Hawks, four games to one. So, and, so. The, and of course the Hawks eventually won the title, you know, so yeah, if, and the the Hawks Hawks kinda get, if the Hawks kind of get their act in gear and some of these other teams are kind of still feeling frisky, if you can somehow slow down Watson and I'm saying somehow slow down Watson, you know, that's going to always be the focus for the, for this team. So, I mean, the point is they just have less wiggle room with Jones. I just, the one thing I look at it is, is I can't right now say that they're better other than the fact that we know Jones is going to be better defensively. But I just think the, the output that they were getting from Forte in the beginning of the season, I think is why they were 18 and two. So, um, yeah, I mean, this, this, this start of the season well, but you're wondering with, you know, bringing back basically now the same team that they've had before, is this another team that's built for the regular season and not so much for the playoff push? Right. I With mean, that and, said, also, though, I, and, and I guess I just, just to interrupt you for one second, I apologize, is that I did say, of course, you know, they wouldn't be 18 and two without Forte. And I guess that I'm wrong in the sense that, okay, Watson's having a bonkers year where he's giving you upwards of 40 points a game, you know, something what we saw at Aurora last year. So he's kind of giving you the roar season. And of course, it helps the fact that he has a guy like Hudson for even more passing. And that's kind of what you know, one of the things that I was looking at, you know, with a guy like Forte is that I don't think Forte is going to be able to keep that up outside of Seattle when you have basically two point two full-time point guards on your roster when you got a Hudson and a DPJ. And I think, you know, when we look at a guy like Jones, I think I fell in love with the overall play of Jones and I kind of discounted the fact, and this is myself with the Thunder, I think I discounted the fact of how much passing that Jones had around him to where right out of the gate, I understand it was a very small sample size, but Jones clearly for me was not the same kind of player that he was in Seattle. Now he might just fall right back in line for Seattle, but right off the bat, I know for us, it it just didn't work. And you know what? He's a winner. He wants, and you know, it's like, let's just get him right back into his situation with Seattle. The player's happy. We're happy. We move on. Well, I mean, you managed to steal my thunder again, but considering the fact you're the GM of the thunder, I guess that's going to just what you will do. Um, but, I, you know, as you mentioned, Danny Watson, I, we didn't think that this guy can take it to the next level, and he's managed still to figure out a way to improve on his play from last year. Um, so as much as DPJ gives you, and, and as much as he helps across the board as he's just an absolute stat filler, that team goes where Delaney Watson goes. Correct. So, and so far, he's got nothing but upwards. So, you know, as long as he keeps playing at this level, um, the Sonics will be a force to be reckoned with. Um, on that, we're going to take a short break. And when we get back after the commercial, we are going to talk about your thunder. All right. So, we'll be back very soon. the KVBL and still with us is Gould City Thunder um, the Thunder who we're going to be a next topic of discussion before we went to the break and the question with the Thunder this year is were they going to be good or bad of course after being heavily criticized for um, 
roster moves last season and going into a new season. Talk to us about your Thunder and where you guys stand at the moment. Well, unfortunately, the hope was definitely that we thought we were going to be better. But, you know, once we looked at this team heading into the season, of course, the nice acquisition of Jones, we knew that we were going to lack scoring a little bit. Um, well, we don't have a, a ton of shooters, per se, despite the fact that we do have guys who can shoot from, from three. Like, we knew Drayton would score a little bit. Um, we didn't quite know how Jones would fit into this team because, of course, he had all the passing with the Sonics, and he's not a guy that takes a lot of shots. He kind of just gives you a little bit of everything. We knew Kaz would, would take the leap, and he has. Um, so we hope we had been a little bit better, you know, but right out of the gate, we have, you know, a decent sample size right now where we can kind of say, like, unfortunately, you know, like, we're definitely not bad, but we can't say that we're as good as we wanted to be. So, you know, of course, we've come under, you know, some criticism lately as far as the deal for Jones, but when we looked at it after the first couple uh, couple sets of games here, we just, we knew Jones kind of did what, what Kaba did, as well as we're very happy with the rookie um, Seva Glovatsel. Looks like he's almost like a clone of Kubo himself. So we had kind of three guys that did the same thing. And unfortunately, you know, them being primary scorers wasn't what they were. And ultimately we needed a, a stronger score. So, you know, when the opportunity came up, you know, the Sonics had been had we had talked to them about sending them Jones back, you know, putting him in a better situation for himself. And originally we had wanted to we kick the tires on, you know, possibly acquiring an asset. And we could tell ultimately that contract was going to be a problem. Contract was going to be a problem for the Sonics. We knew that ultimately it was going to be a problem around the league. So, you know, we didn't really push too hard to move Jones elsewhere. And when the opportunity came up to acquire a guy like Forte, who obviously had been contributing for the Sonics right off the bat, you know, it made the most sense for us to kind of, you know, cut ties at that point, put him back in a winning position. Obviously he had been struggling with us from the get go. So he really wasn't happy himself. And, you know, Forte had been fine. So we figure, look, you know, we have Forte, we can, we can have some scoring now. He's a little bit more of a shooter than, than Jones is. And, you know, if we end up keeping him, we have him, but at the same time, we kind of, it's a reset, you know, and there's, you know, again, we were criticized for the move, but you know, there the specific GM who criticized us, you know, is, is one of the biggest proponents of, you know, don't force it. You know, it's kind of like once you lose your pick, don't try to, you know, screw the other team out of it. So it's kind of like, look, I made a big mistake. It's a big five-year contract. You know, I think if we kind of rewound it, I don't think I would do much differently because, you know, there wasn't a ton of guys that made sense for us. Obviously, you know, the Knicks signed a guy like Soto, but I wasn't prepared to pay so to that contract. I mean, again, all of this could have been avoided if everyone would have just decided that Kaba was the best player from the Bulls, which I think is pretty clear at this point that he obviously arguably was the best player. He just wasn't getting the playing time for people to see that. Um, and we would have probably gone after him as he was a better fit. You know, so for all the criticism we got, uh, you know, a long-winded conversation here about not playing a guy like Rafi last season is that, you know, people were right in the sense that he he gave us some volume. And, and then the biggest thing is that he draws some fouls. It was something that I didn't really notice right away until it was pointed out that, you know, once the season started, we knew this would be a scrappy team. Everybody could kind of play defense. You know, some people could shoot a little bit, but ultimately we, it just wasn't enough. So it's like we kept in these games where we're grinding it out, but we just don't have the guy who can put it in the bucket so you know like of course we make the trade for jones and then our ne our next priority was using that cap space and then whatever assets we have to plug that hole that jones left 
you know, with a score, you know, and, and fortunately enough for us is that the Blazers were pretty quick to move on a guy like Forte because I think, you know, they looked at Forte was a cheaper version of Wolzaki. And obviously if he's starting Zikos, it made sense for him to have, uh, you know, moved off that contract. And, you know, Wolzaki, while we don't really expect him to be overly efficient for us, the fact that he's a guy that, you know, pretty consistently can put up, I mean, anywhere between 20 to 30 points a game. I mean, in our lineup, he's going to be pushing it to the limits. You know, he's a guy that, again, we love that three-point shooting. And, you know, I know that we're going to lose some efficiency from him, but the biggest thing is he's going to be able to hit shots. So we're hoping that right now he's a much better fit for us moving forward. And I think it'll kind of stabilize that lineup. Again, we had three guys in Jones, Kaba, and same thing. But now we can kind of normalize that by putting in a shooter, you know, at the shooting guard or small forward spot. We can move some people around. So I think that we're going to have to be a better fit moving forward. Um, you know, we're not going to be a top team in the Maynard. You know, we're, we're growing. We have a lot of young talent. But, you know, I think we're going to be better off moving forward than we were with Jones. And it just made sense to kind of move off that. And we still have some cap space. We have about almost $12 million in wiggle room plus some contracts we can move. Now, again, that's going to change next season. So the idea is we want to take, we want to capitalize on that. Now, if we can take on a contract now, because we have cap space, it's something that we won't be able to do next season because Kaba and Kazri's um, contracts are going to kick in. So, you know, we're going to be looking to add here before the deadline because we have that wiggle room. So I think we're going to be better moving forward, but you know, we're definitely not as good as we hoped we would have been. And the biggest thing right now is that we want to, try to make the playoffs, you know, we probably are going to be an eight seed. And the idea is, can we hold on if the Wolves decide they want to compete? So that's where we're at. Well, that would be an interesting fight to see between you and the Wolves. Uh, you know, if you look at the standings right now, you got the Wolves sitting in six at 11 and 10, and you, your Thunder at 10 and 11. Obviously, just a one-game difference there. But then you have both the Warriors and Hawks behind you guys that have had slow starts to the season, mainly because of big injuries to Weebs and, and Jericho uh, for Warriors and the Hawks. They're sitting at 6-11 and 8-15. and 15. You would assume or think once their big guns come back that they're going to ride the ship and, you know, it would be tougher for the Wolves and yourself to hold them off um, unless you think there's something down the road that you can do to improve your position. Exactly. And the biggest thing is, again, going back to my earlier statement is like, what we have right now is what we have. We don't have our pick the season. Um, the Wolves have the benefit of that. The Wolves went out and signed Zion. So ultimately, like if we miss out and we end up in the ninth spot, you know, right now I'm, I'm not going to overcommit, you know, this roster or, or trade stuff just to try to make the playoffs this season. You know, it's a long-term goal for this team as far as to try to keep this score core. So, you know, we'll make moves if we think it's going to be something that would make sense for us in the upcoming seasons. But, you know, for example, I don't think that we're going to be jumping to add an overpaid veteran talent just because unless we think that's going to bet benefit us in the next couple seasons. So if it fits, we'll do it. But ultimately, you know, we're probably going to be a team that's going to struggle a little bit at times, but you know, we think we're going to be able to grind out some wins and, you know, we just want to have a positive outlook for the franchise moving forward, you know, regardless of we don't have really lofty goals. So, I mean, if it happens, it happens, but again, I don't think we're going to force something if it's not going to make sense. Yeah. Seems a reason to, you know, give up, the long-term plans for, you know, short-term gain, not to mention the fact that, you know, either or even though you guys have, you know, exciting future head potentially with a lot of, you know, potential players, um, this is not a team, and I hope I don't offend you as a GM there, this is not a team that's going to win the championship this season, so why push it? Exactly, so. and a guy like Jones is ready to do that, so, 
didn't really fit with our core. So, all right. So, um, you had mentioned the Bulls in, in when you were talking about your team and Kaba and how you thought Kaba was the best player on that team. So, let's change gears and talk about the six and 12 Bulls. And Kaba now, as he's like the main guy on that roster, the Zion and Sotoles Bulls, how do you feel about that team? Well, I, I think you nailed it at coming off the, uh, coming off the free agency discussion. And I think you kind of nailed it in the sense that if people were voting for Soto to really diminish their front court, you know, knowing that they were going to lose Zion, I mean, that's what people got. I mean, the fact that this franchise is six and 12 right now, Cobb is putting up a lot of offense, you know, there's additional passing around him and, you know, they're, they're still not probably where they would want to be, but, you know, Cobb is going to be better suited lining up probably at the shooting guard spot alongside someone who could pass a little bit more than what they have, you know, but the fact that they're really left with, you know, like Kaba Jones and, uh, and Santoro, who's obviously kind of a shell of his former self and really no front court guys aside from, you know, guy Postiga that he likes um, is that's their biggest struggle. So you kind of nailed it where you said, you know, taking soda out Soto out of the mix really hurts their overall, you know, lineup. So I think that's why we've probably seen them jump out to a six and 12 start. And, and obviously, you know, like we had some, correction coming out of our out of our last talk where you know the, the the idea is right now the bulls i think someone else has the bulls pick this season um well the, it, the was, knicks hold this was pick. the knicks the knicks hold this pick correct right so the knicks um, are going to get the benefit he's of this forfeiting season. the 53 and 54 so the correct. first first pick the bulls will have themselves again isn't 55 correct and, and i know just in discussions is you know ever since all of this started even before the voting for example is you know i was kind of trying to come after kava because i knew that you know, he could be a nice fit. And I mean, I, we, we've had discussions about Cabo. We've had discussions about Jones. And I want to say, honestly, it's not even a discussion. You know, I think the Bulls are in a position where they know they really can't do anything for the next three seasons. So the point would be is we know that the way Chicago operates is, you know, they don't like to make moves unless it's for players that they like. They're not the kind of team that's going to just arbitrarily say, well, I don't need a guy like Jones. So I'm just going to kind of give him away for the best offer. If, for example, this is a classic, the best offer isn't a good offer. So they might just go down with the ship with a guy like Jones unless something presents itself that makes sense. Because, again, they don't have their pick for three seasons. That's a long time. You know, so I think it's going to be a classic situation where the Bulls might see somebody that they like and then might make that offer. But I think people offering on those pieces, it's probably not going to work in the sense that there's no benefit to the Bulls just giving stuff away um, unless they see a path to where they might potentially have cap space in one of the coming seasons, because of course they have some bigger contracts. I don't know if they could ever move off of Elio, but I mean, they're kind of stuck, but they do have the luxury right now, where at least in a piece like Kaba, obviously they're not gonna be able to use them three seasons from now. So the point is, is that eventually something is going to make sense where someone might offer or try to overpay for him or, you know, again, the bulls target a certain guy. So I think that we've seen this before from the bulls is that ultimately, I mean, the, the Knicks are going to benefit from having their pick, but they're just going to kind of disappear the next two seasons. And because that pick gets forfeited and no one really owns it, it kind of doesn't really matter what they do, if that makes sense. Since they're not giving a pick away, it just gets skipped in the draft. They can kind of just go away for the next two seasons, and we're going to see them three years from now. However, I mean, now that you mentioned that, let's say the, the Bulls end up being a lot of team in 53 and 54. That's going to benefit every other team that's in the lottery as well. Correct. I mean, everyone would technically slide up a spot, but it's not like the team that misses out on the lottery pick suddenly gets a lottery pick. Yes, everyone moves up a slot, but the biggest thing is that the Bulls are in a position where they're technically giving someone else their pick, 
where everyone's now jostling for bulls picks. It's kind of just everyone moves up. So I think the point is, is that they probably don't care what they do because yeah. there's really no ramifications for what they, what moves they make since other people don't own that asset, for example. Correct. Correct. Um, all right. So since we were talking about Soto and, you know, now that the dynamic duo of Soto Zion is, you know, is torn apart, we've already discussed Zion with the Wolves, you know, still doing his thing. What about the other side of that? You, you know, it seems looking at the stats and looking at the teams that, Soto was way more dependent on Zion than Zion is dependent on Soto now that Soto's playing with the New York Knicks. I would agree with that. I also think that Soto's showing a little bit of age. And then also, if we do look back, I mean, the Bulls, to a degree, did have, you know, some extra passing, you know, between Kaba, between Jones, between Elio. You know, they might have had a little bit more passing than the Knicks do have now. And of course, the Knicks have a guy in Haitian who's not like your best distributor. You know, so I think if if you're looking at a team like the Knicks who, you know, maybe they had a guy like Markle or maybe they had a guy like Hudson in years past where, you know, I think that would benefit Soto more. You know, I think that ultimately his value is being killed, being hurt a little bit right now because he doesn't have the extra passing around him. Don't necessarily think he's a bad player. Um, I, I obviously I've talked him down a little bit, but I, I think he, he's fine. You know, he gives you some nice balance, you know, he's not significantly overpaid. And the thing is, if you're a win now team, you know, you need someone at that, small forward power forward spot. I mean, he, he's going to, he's going to fit. He can give you scoring. He can, he has some, you know, decent defense as well. So I think he's a fine player. It's just, you know, right now we've, I've even seen it myself is, you know, there's really only, you know, counting myself as, you know, potentially falling out and who knows what the wolves is that there's only nine teams in the, in the Maynard that right now want to compete. And I think, you know, in the, in the Landros, I'm pretty sure we're in the same situation where, you know, again, the Bulls aren't going to add despite not having their picks. And I think the only team on the outside is a team like the Cavs. And then, of course, we saw that the Cavs went out and added Markle. So, you know, I guess you would have the Sonics there. I'm sorry, the Celtics right there. And again, the Rockets are probably going to go in the opposite direction. So now the, the buyer's market is starting to dry up again, similar to what it did last season, where, you know, the Knicks might not exactly get exactly what they wanted. But, you know, we know that there's been offers out there you know i think you you mentioned that coming from nick's camp so i would expect him to probably be moved you know he's still one of the better players available that could move at this point so you know and then of course the knicks the, the nice thing for the knicks right now is that they haven't been doing well despite having him on the roster so again they can kind of give you know wait till someone needs to acquire that talent towards the deadline it's not like he's giving them added wins correct i mean you know after a Decent start at five and seven you know, over the last eleven games. The Knicks have gone one and ten, so that you know the the wheels have really fallen off the of that wagon. Um, so as you said, it's not like you have to move right now because we need to start losing. Um, so that will that will definitely help the Knicks situation when it comes to potentially moving Soto, um, as it can be patient with him. And you know, it's one of those doesn't even look like he needs to necessarily be moved this season um, because. At some point, somebody's going to come along to hopefully, you know, wanting him to make that next, the next step. And the one thing about Soto that's nice is he can be a great mismatch player at the three, um, you know, with all the post moves that he has versus, you know, the wing players. That's correct. And, and, and you know, when we look at the Knicks, too, let's not, let's not you know, gloss over the, the starting power forward for the Knicks. You know, we probably don't want to get the Lakers started on you know, any sort of controversy, but we also know that the Lakers would never, ever listen to this podcast. So, so long as it doesn't get discussed publicly, I mean, you know, the late, the, the Knicks are starting Kenpachi at power forward and suddenly, you know, granted they've been doing it all season, but have a six and 17 start. 
Campachi's putting up a nice stat line. It's like 14 and 10, obviously much better than how he was last season. But, you know, Campachi has uh, kind of shown that he hasn't really contributed to winning ways. So uh, so that's working out for the Knicks. Let's just, uh, you know, keep that on the down low and don't let the Lakers know that that's a, that's a smart play by the Knicks if they want to keep losing games. No. <laughs> I mean, the one, the one um, <laughs> highlight of that team right there is actually Woody Lander is starting to really come together and he's, he's performing on a better level. You know, scoring a little bit 20, 21 points right now uh, on 47% shooting. Um, you know, 35 from three and then adding, you know, doing a little bit of a few rebounds, a little assist, a couple steals. So, um, so Woody Lander, I think at this point has probably become, you know, the franchise piece for, for that Knicks organization. Correct. And of course that's a piece that, you know, the Knicks had, that the Knicks traded, you know, the Knicks ended up in a guy like Carlson that the Knicks didn't necessarily like, and they were able to flip Carlson for Lander, you know, and despite Carlson looking a little bit better in Milwaukee, it's not like he's blowing up to the point where you'd regret it. And the biggest thing is that, you know, that Lander has benefited, you know, and, and looked much better, you know, the, this after this past off season. So, you know, you got to think Andre is super psyched about that. And, you know, again, we can kind of calm it down when it comes to the Carlson Lander deal. But, you know, hey, that's that's a nice piece that we know that they've liked. And it's nice to see that he's panned out so far. Yes. All right. Um, another team that had to make a, you know, not massive move, but what we anticipated could be a potential big time and it switched within that lineup because how it worked is the fact that the Jazz are now playing without Emil Elliott, who was kind of their, you know, glue guy on that roster, doing just absolutely a little bit of everything and, you know, being able to play multiple positions. So how do you see the Jazz now that they lost a guy like Elliott? Well, if you look at uh, – he lost Elliott, but he's able to actually start Holland in his place. And what he's, what he's actually done this season is instead of starting Falwell, which I'm not sure if he did. I'm assuming he started Falwell last year and brought Elliott off the bench at, the, at like, the backup at the three or four positions. So this year instead he started Holland, um, and Holland's been fine for them. And, you know, maybe losing Falwell's overall output has hurt them a little bit. Um, but I also know in discussing things with him, you know, don't want to – um, you know, give up too, too much information. But I do know that, you know, Elliot, I, I think, has since been moved. But in discussing stuff with him is that, you know, I, I floated him the potential of, you know, I could probably try to get Elliot back, you know, in the sense that he was looking at potentially moving Falwell. So if that was a deal that we could do, you know, I get Elliot and maybe move him for Falwell. But ultimately, he had actually said that, you know, he actually was down on Elliot as far as he might have um, regressed, you know, he might've just seen a little bit in the off season that he didn't necessarily like, as far as not wanting to bring him back. Maybe he saw some fall off that they didn't like. So they actually were a little bit outspoken as far as actually not wanting to bring him back. And most likely, especially at that cost where he was being paid 14 million, you know, so obviously he was able to bring in Holland much cheaper to basically replace that spot. So, you know, they've come out of the gate and it's not like they've been as dominant as past seasons. So I don't necessarily want to say that, you know, they're worse. I just think they're different. But the biggest thing is that we knew, like, you know, maybe they wouldn't be as dominant in the past couple of years. But I think that's more so because the Maynard is starting to get a little bit better overall. You got a team like the Blazers looking better. Obviously, the Clippers and then the Sonics, you know, have looked somewhat unbeatable. So I think they've kind of just kind of more balanced more towards the norm, so to speak. You know, some of those guys are still aging. You know, but I know that that's a team that's looking out, you know, if they can move Falwell, because, of course, they have Falwell coming off the bench, maybe for something different. You know, that seems to be a goal for them. So I think they're, of course, they're still going to be a top team in the Maynard. 
Um, you know, there's a team that were, you know, that obviously, you know, Roar had just an insane season, you know, recently. And then, I mean, they didn't win the title two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they won the title two years ago. So at this point, it's kind of, you know, whatever, whatever they kind of want to do, you know, it's, it's kind of up to them. So I don't really think they necessarily have, have the pressure on them that they once had, you know, and they took a little bit of a step back last season. So I think, you know, they're going to be fine. Again, they're a similar team where, you know, it didn't really hurt them too much, um, you know, but I, I feel like they're clearly not done. You know, they're out there making some calls. So I, I think that, you know, if we see something from the Jazz where they ultimately approve, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. And, you know, you're saying that their offensive output has gone down a little bit. That is still a team scoring over 118 points a game. So clearly they are still uh, very much a force on the offensive side. Um, and you're looking just at the roster, you got – six guys that are scoring in double digits uh, on, on a nightly basis. So that's... Oh, yeah, uh, I could be completely wrong in the sense that, you know, you take some shots away from Falwell. It just means that, you know, George is going to score more, Mason's going to score more, and, of course, they have Roar still putting up 35 points a game. Yeah. Um, you know, he's still he's still a human highlight reel every night. So he is must-watch KVBL TV for sure. Um, Almost now, looks like, actually, just sorry to interrupt, if, if, you know, looking at the stats, it's pretty clear that they probably, you know, like I'm wrong about the scoring aspect. If you look at the stats, it just seems like the defense has fallen off. So, you know, if you look at it, the fact that Emil was probably paying for positions as a backup and Holland's limited. So that probably has hurt them to a degree on the defensive end, you know, and we have actually seen that, you know, I wasn't correct where we've seen that he has been openly uh, talking about trying to acquire more defensive players. So, um, obviously he is trying to patch that up and it's not, it's not a big one, but like you said, they're scoring 118, but they're also giving up 111. So if they can shore up that defense a little bit more, that'll give them, uh, I think a little bit better overall. I agree. I agree. All right. Um, uh, moving on, I'm going to give you a stat line and I want you to tell me which rookie player I'll be playing. Uh, I'll be talking about because this guy, um, has been very exciting for the first few games of the season. Um, and is living up to the bill. And I want you to tell me who we're talking about. This gentleman is scoring 24 points, almost 25 points a game on 56% shooting um, and adding almost 10 rebounds per game. Um, not to mention the fact that he's also getting three blocks a game. I will tell you he's on a losing team. Which oh, player I, am I talking about? I mean, right off the bat, once you mentioned the percent, I mean, I knew it's, we're talking about Kubi right here. Yes, Sam Kubrick with the Miami Heat, and and I mean I'm going to make a bold statement right here is that you know and and here and here's the and here's the irony here. There's two things here is that one I think he will easily be one of the top five players coming out of this draft, you know because the fact that he's already putting up that stat line as a rookie means he's only going to get better. The biggest thing is of course you're going to want him to become a better free throw shooter, but the fact that he can be efficient scorer, the fact that he can stay on the court. I just want to double check because I don't think it's a problem for him. No, I mean, the fact that he hasn't seen, it doesn't seem like he has any sort of foul problem. He's playing a little bit of defense. And again, I don't really care about the turnovers right now, because if you look at the fact that that team literally has no scoring around him, once he kind of has a second, you know, or third score around him, that's going to normalize. I mean, the fact that they're just not getting any sort of pace and whatnot is that that's all reliant on him. But even with that pressure, he's putting up 57% you know, percent shooting. So I think this is one of the bigger bright spots you know, as far as we're talking about young talent. So, again, I, I think we had so many players that after you know, the top, when you look at a guy like Prodder um, you know, and, and some of the top guys taken, is that there are a lot of guys that do 
you know, a variety of things, whereas he's mainly going to be your scorer, but of course he can give you blocks. So I think when you look at the overall high output guys coming out of that draft, I think he's going to be one of the best offensive players. He's going to be a top five pick. And the other thing I kind of alluded to is that for all of the discussion about what the Thunder did last season is that, I don't think that's a guy that the Thunder would have reached at, of course, when we picked, I forget, we picked seventh, seventh or eighth and in that draft because of where he was. But he's that classic C-plus guy. I'm pretty sure that was his grade, that he's graded that way because he's pretty much a one-dimensional player in the sense that he's giving you he's giving you offense. I think his free throws probably hurt a little bit and, of course, his overall defense. But that's a guy that, of course, slid down, and I'm pretty sure Smath takes him at eleven. Uh, or maybe even Smath took someone else, and then I forget, but he was I in that range. I think Smath took him at 11. That's but the not, idea that is that right. that is a classic range where if the Thunder ended up making the playoffs, for example, and had the eighth seed, is that ultimately the only person that got screwed out of that is I screwed myself because he would be one of those guys that I would have been targeting in that range. So it's very possible that if the Thunder ended up with the 10th or 11th pick, is that, again, I don't think the Heat would have – pulled the trigger on him earlier. We knew he wanted Jerison. So there could be a scenario where, you know, the Heat potentially end up with Jerison with the Knicks pick and because, you know, because they would have fallen out. And then somehow the Thunder end up in the 10th and 11th spot and we end up with a guy like Kubelwick. Because again, the Jodson comparison was there. The Jodson comparison's correct. And I mean, again, like I said, is that I will not be surprised if he ends up being one of the top players. Because if you look at him right now compared to Prodder, the only really thing you like more out of Prodder, you know, because Prodder can't necessarily hit his free throws, is that Prodder has just a little bit better defense coming into the league right now. But, I mean, if you put them side by side, would you want to have Kubi more than Prodder? Um, I don't know. That's that's That would be an interesting debate. I mean, unfortunately, we're not going to have time for it today because we can spend some time on that. <laughs> I mean, that's again, that's the thing that I think that, you know, it's it's a fair question even right now. That's what I'm getting at. You know, and yeah. Carter went number one. So that's all I want to say. And again, time will tell us how these guys progress. But coming out of the gate, I mean, again, he went at pick number 11 and might end up being a, you know, top three to five player coming out of this draft. So the Heat crushed it with that. Well, I mean, and, and Smath from the Heat will not be shy of telling yourself how good of a drafter he is. But he's certainly backing up with this pick right here. So, um, I can't believe I'm saying this and you're not going to believe that I'm going to ask you to talk about this, but we have another team that's been a little surprising at start off extremely hot out of the gate with the new triple threat of Ferrer, of Rafi, and, um, who's the third one in, in that mix? They signed Lou as well. Oh, and Lou. Exactly. I mean, the the grandfather group of the KVBL, um, I think combined age-wise, they're probably averaging as much as the Jazz do in points. Um, But the Lakers are 15 and 8. They started 12 and 2. Let's actually spend a little bit of time on the Lakers here before we have to go. Well, I mean, let's be honest. They've they've come back down to earth a little bit after the first sim. So I don't want to, like, or after the first set of games, I don't want to come out of here. I, mean, I think they were what, like twelve and two, they after the first set of games. You know, they're twelve and two. So if we look at it right now, now they've been three and six. You know, and I don't want to say that that's who they are, but if you look at it, their point per game differentials normalizing a little bit. Um, and 
it's it's just kind of obvious you know i remember on after our free agent reveal um discussion is the i was talking to the Cavs, and of course kyle had i want to say both the lakers and the sonics picks this season and he was seemingly excited because the sonics whiffed and he and he mentioned the lakers and you know i told him to kind of just wait and listen and, and of course once he saw who the lakers got he kind of laughed at it and I think this kind of goes back to what we talked about, you know, during the actual reveal is that in the past seasons, the Lakers have really made no effort to add. And in this case, instead of adding one guy, they added three. So all it really did was give them more depth, give them more variety. Obviously, Rafi's been coming off the bench and giving them points and, and shooting 50%. You know, and that's what Rafi has kind of been doing in the latter stage of his career. So it's nice to see that he's in a more winning position. But it just makes sense that this was a team that was kind of on the playoff bubble that now that instead of adding one player, you know, they added more to just give them a little bit more flexibility. So when you're in these kind of grinding games and probably against bad teams, um, is that it's going to help. And we know that the rookies got better. And a guy like New Jacks, you know, is a legit top player in the league. And, you know, he's kind of been overlooked. And, you, you know, you mentioned him specifically when we talked about the Lakers. So the fact that he's got a little bit better supporting cast and they're more stable as far as a rotation, it just makes sense that they're better. You know, we're not going to talk about them as a top team in the Landros because I just don't see it. You know, I just see them sliding down, but they're a playoff team. And but we said that they should be a playoff team. So the fact that they've added the veteran talent has just more so stabilized the roster and they're fine. But that's kind of what they should have been doing. So, you know, kudos for the Lakers for actually trying to put it together for once in signing three guys instead of one. But, you know, again, they overachieved coming out of the gates. And again, I think they'll make the playoffs. But, you know, they're just – they're okay. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's just uh, not often we get to spend uh, some time with the Lakers. So, why not for once? Because they actually did something worth talking about. So, um, on that note, we are actually running out of time for the show today. So, I appreciate, as always, you coming on, Goulet. And, um, I mean, you and about yourself. So, we're going to keep keep an eye on that, what the Thunder are doing. If they can get themselves in the playoffs. Um, so, good luck to you and your team. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it, as always. All right. Thank you, sir. And KBBL, stay classy.